Good afternoon. This is Miss Radio Podcast, and I'm your host, Angelo Gonzalez. Uh, today, we have a special guest, uh, Miss Student, in his first semester, uh, Mr. Seth Small. He is studying international environmental policy here, and this is his first semester again, and he's getting knee-deep into policy and work and getting involved in the community, and is originally from L.A. area and has lived in multiple places across the country, uh, Rhode Island and Oregon, respectively. So without further ado, uh, thank you again, Seth Small, for being here. Um, As we dive in uh, a little bit deeper into your background, how you came across international uh, environmental policy, um, a little bit into uh, why we're here and how our two minds collided with uh, Mira as the uh, organization uh, that's headed by Taryn Kearns. Taryn, shout out, shout out to, uh, to you out there. Thank you for putting us in touch. And then, of course, um, the march that we, we came across today. So without further ado, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here and um, discussing a little bit about um, farm working, about uh, organic sustainability, uh, and just exactly uh, what gives you what what gets you up in the morning you know as far as being here in Monterey now Uh, okay hi everyone hi Angela thanks for having me on um so what are we talking about farm work in the morning (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so yeah that's one thing that probably many people know about farm work is you usually have to wake up very early in the morning to start an early day often get to work before the sun rises so you can get some things out of the way before um, the real business starts Um, and it can seem rough like on paper falling asleep at 8 p.m. and waking up four or five sometimes depending where you work but um, it's a job that keeps you physically active enough that when it comes to like 6 p.m. you're ready to go to sleep and uh, yeah the sun setting is a good sign that uh, it's time to pack it in and get ready to go to bed. But uh, yeah, the motivation is definitely there to like wake up, get out, go um, see the sunrise, see the birds fly around when the sun rises and um, just like feel a part of nature and the outdoor world where you're working. Um, uh, but if it gets frustrating, often waking up that early can be a real chore. But you get into a rhythm and it's fun, like you adapt to it. And then when you're done working for the summer or the season or whatever, it can often be very difficult to try to get back into a normal sleep schedule where you're falling asleep after 10 p.m. or something. But um, yeah, to anyone who hasn't tried farming before, I encourage trying it out. gardening is a good step in that direction and um, it can seem like too much to handle one time but once you're doing it you get into a rhythm and it's 
I don't know if this sounds too cliche, but it's really um, healthful for mind and body to like be out and you know explore the world and see things growing and nature alive. Um, so there's that. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that with you know our conversation moving from this morning and how we were discussing just how you got involved uh, with farm work and, and everything. Uh, what were some of the uh, things that you were looking for? Uh, I know when we look at a macro scale in the U.S., uh, 1% of agriculture is part of our GDP. So it's a really small scale, but yet it's such a crucial thing, right? When we think about food and we think about uh, providing uh, you know, that to multiple communities, not only, not only in the U.S., but abroad. So uh, getting back in touch with nature through, uh, you know, working on farms uh, the way you did. How, how was that? How did that come to be? Well, uh, a lot of it's through happenstance. At the time, this was 2016, I think. I was living in Rhode Island. I hadn't planned on living there and didn't know exactly how long I would stay. So um, it was a new place to me. I um, had had, I'd just gotten out of a grad school program getting a master's and came back to the U.S. from Germany and um, wasn't really interested in immediately starting teaching or finding an office job or something indoors like that. Like it was in a new part of the country for me pretty much, southeast New England, and there's a lot of beautiful trees and outdoor areas around there. So I thought maybe there's a way I can explore this and develop like a connection with the area while also making a little bit of money to like sustain myself. And uh, I have an uncle out there who's a landscaper and groundskeeper and free time farmer. And I talked to him a bit about what it means to be a farmer. And he gave me all the warnings, like it's seasonal work, you don't get paid, it's physically exhausting, but um, you feel really good about your work at the end of the day. And I thought that was enough. So I started looking around and um, found a farm in uh, the south coast of Massachusetts, the farm coast, and uh, talked to them. I was upfront about not having any experience in anything related to this, and they thought, well, you seem interested enough, like, we'll try it out, and it was great from there, like, meeting the people um, who had, like, a wide range of backgrounds, but um, a lot of them from liberal arts schools like me, and uh, it was kind of a hippie farm where uh, people would introduce each other to like new music and you know to have interpretive dance sessions during lunch breaks. And uh, the farm owner was pretty great. She had a pizza party every week in her giant outdoor pizza oven. Um, and uh, yeah, so just after the first couple of days, I realized this is something that I want to do for a while. Like. These are great people. This is a great work environment, which is something I hadn't really had before. Um, and I really like look forward to like every hour of work. I mean, after a while, I can get a little redundant, honestly. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's enough to do. That's a big thing I've talked about with other people on farms, like why we like doing this more than any other job is that um, you're not doing a small set of things. So you have to learn how to prepare seedlings. You have to mix soil, plant, think, transplants, 
um, cultivate and get rid of weeds. There's just so many different things you're doing throughout the day that it never really gets that boring. Um, and being outside is really helpful as long as it's not too hot and exhausting. Um, right, yeah. And you, you had talked about an interesting point where at first you were seeking, you know, the environmental aspects um, of nature and just reconnecting and and exploring really that area where you were at. And then by working on said farm, I mean, you, you open up to a different work environment. And so there's the social component to it that's added. Um, what what uh, have you cultivated for yourself and, and you know, mindfulness and, and working in, in, you know, whether it's in a classroom setting or, you know, you're rubbing shoulders and you're wearing a suit or, you know, you're having to present yourself in a professional manner. How have you extrapolated those experiences, like in the farm, working with those folks into uh, much more, I guess, professional settings? Like how have I adapted it? Yeah, yeah. Um, what have you cultivated for yourself? Well, uh, it's not totally clear to me at first. Um, I'm definitely a big proponent of trying out farming for reasons of just psychological well-being or just, I don't know, uh, just like enriching your experience uh, in the place where you live and um, with the things that you think you're capable of. Like um, farming is really encouraging for like self-determination. Like I can grow my own food. And mm. I mean, you're growing food for a lot of people that aren't usually yourself when you work on a farm on a large scale with cooperating with other people. But that's another aspect of it too, cooperating with people and not competing with them because you're all working on the same thing together and you need to help out where you're needed or if you need a little help, you can rely on the people around you without judgment. Um, and uh, I have a cousin actually who um, had pretty severe PTSD from his service in Iraq and his aunt was ears telling me that the best thing for him um, after he returned was working in their garden and growing food so that's a big thing. Um, I definitely think it helped um, break me out of, you know, being in academia for a while and uh, kind of office jobs where I didn't know where I was going or what was expected of me. Um, I thought, like, I don't really have to settle for something that seems like the natural path if I've tried something so different. Mm. So, um, I don't know, it's really kind of helped me as, like, an introvert to, like, I don't know. Uh, like realize that I'm not like as limited as um, I might have been expected to be by I don't know like high school teachers or something um, so something that it's carried on is um, a sense of uh, common purpose I'd say with uh, not coming from like a poor struggling background with like uh, people who have jobs where they're not really recognized for all that they provide to society and um, aren't maybe compensated in an uh, adequate way and uh, seeing that their struggles are our struggles, we depend on them and uh, to provide the things that we need to survive literally in the case of farmers and um, to see that uh, well, 
a reason I'm here at this school right now is because I kind of hit a wall with farming. Um, I could have continued on and tried to, you know, work my way up to like harvest manager and different manager positions for slightly better pay, but the reality is you're often making the minimum wage wherever you are. And uh, in Oregon, actually, I was making sub-minimum wage for the area that I worked because of zoning issues, and it's like a long story, but um, yeah, there are all kinds of, um, since the New Deal or even before, um, like legal uh, problems or, you know, policy problems with agriculture, with like workers' compensation or um, uh, overtime pay, um, but so not really seeing uh, immediate future path through farming. Um, and like, just because I didn't do it doesn't mean it's impossible. Like a lot of people are really dedicated and can start their own farm in their 30s or something, which seems like an appropriate age range. And uh, if you wanna do that, then all power to you. But um, I saw the um, issues with our food system and with agriculture really need to be addressed um, at a policy level. And uh, if you can like see that and like feel some kind of compulsion and urgency to it, then um, I think it's important to have people like that um, working on these things in more formal suit and tie settings and uh, in local, state, federal governments um, to like bridge the divide, the urban-rural divide, and the, yeah, blue-collar, white-collar divide, however you want to see it. Right, have a basic understanding of one another. Um, I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, a, a pamphlet here for the United Farm Workers Foundation, and, and right there in front of us it says, Empowering Communities to Ensure Human Dignity. And we're at, you know, a certain point in history and time where we're seeing radical transformations of societies due to um, indoctrination of new technologies that are being implemented in our lives, you know, with the capabilities of cell phones, internet, big data, and how this has made us much more connected in new ways and yet disconnected from different ways, right? And, and you're speaking on that. Um, and when did you, because I know you were talking about um, the suboptimal uh, pay grade that you were receiving in Oregon, when did you realize that, you know, this might be something that could be done on a policy standpoint where you could effectively learn more about this? Mm -hmm. Well, um, the UFW is actually a perfect place for talking about this because it's through their actions as a union that um, I think California, from what I've heard, I might be wrong about this, is the only state where there is uh, overtime assured to farm workers. Um, and there's still plenty of problems with um, the legal system and uh, farm workers' rights in California. But um, yeah, there's that blind spot in the original New Deal where um, there are all these labor protections given to pretty much everyone, I don't know, this is pretty vague, but farm workers, um, uh, because agriculture has a special history in this country, um, a history that gets very dark the deeper you look into it and further in the past you go. But um, 
It's important that uh, people talking about a Green New Deal right now. Uh, there's actually a good article about this in, from an organization that I totally recommend to everyone called Food First. They're a think tank based out of Oakland. They have great publications of essay collections about um, farm workers, the um, Via Campesina movement, and um, all around the world. Uh, they um, published an article recently with their concerns about a Green New Deal and how it has to um, incorporate concerns for farm workers' rights into it explicitly. If we're talking about a changing climate and a changing economy, um, if the summers are getting hotter, especially in California, then that's a real health risk for people who are working out in the fields for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, and uh, there are just so many issues involved with uh, protecting and um, advancing farm workers' rights. It's hard to know where to start, but um, yeah. Uh, there are different concerns in different states, different uh, effects of climate change, different um, legal histories and uh, state policies going on. So I don't have like one, or I don't think there would be one panacea for farm worker issues around the country or even around the world, but um, it's something that I've thought a lot uh, is that um, farming, agriculture, and especially farm workers, there's kind of a blind spot around that in our society, um, especially relative to like how crucial um, they are for our survival for producing food. Um, and uh, there have been so many changes since the New Deal, the Bracero Program, the Green Revolution, all these major historical events. Um, it's hard to keep up with what's going on. Um, monopolization, um, and uh, these are things that need to be addressed uh, at the higher levels of government. Um, they are, need to be discussed and advocated within communities, especially communities affected by them, but also communities that eat food, which I think are all communities. Um, and uh, yeah, it's hard to ex decide exactly how or how urgent the crisis is, but, or if it's in fact a crisis, but ensuring that our food system and the people needed to keep it running is sustainable um, is something that we should consider a really big political issue. Right. Yeah, and we see these, these ties then that are inextricably linked to each other, you know, uh, we were running a concept series last semester on affordable housing, and water kept on coming up. The the issue of water uh, and where where we put in place like water infrastructure uh, for said housing project developments. So, you know, looking forward, um, like you said, when we're considering the Green New Deal and how we have to explicitly include farm workers' rights in that. And, and ensure that these folks are, are getting fair fair wages, they're fairly getting compensated, and also that they have working conditions that are that are fair and that are you know um, 
provide human dignity in, in these situations. And it's it's one of those things where I know we had discussed previously that having just a, a brief experience, a brief touch on getting outside and working with the environment um, to any capacity, whatever fruit or vegetable you're getting into, um, it, it kind of enlightens you into this new... Um, oh, wow, like, that's that's where my food comes from, you know? Instead of, like, consuming culture, we're, like, creating culture, you know? And it it defeats the purpose to, to go out and get food all the time. And then if you've ever, like, made a meal with someone or a significant other, and it's just, like, there's a bond that's immediately drawn. Or, like, you know, all the work that you put into making that meal, you're just like, oh, wow, this is you know, all the much more tastier, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and to talk about, like, this age that we're living in, I, I do believe that it's, like, an age of spin to where, like, okay, what what really is going on? If we can call it a crisis or if it's not, um, you know. Uh, so all kinds of different angles there. Um, but, you know, as we progress forward, um, do you see, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting because... Uh, you know, from past administrations to the current one, and then looking forward, um, you know, international environmental policy, I think, is going to be increasingly important and vital to creating public policy that um, can be championed, you know. Um, where do you, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as, like, a researcher, or, like, here in the state, or um, maybe think tank status? Um consider think tank things. Uh, I don't have such a strong background in sciences related, like soil science, agroecology, things like that. I try to learn as much as I can about them. Um, still very new, so I'm not too sure uh, what to expect uh, during or after my um, program here. But um, yeah, think tanks, there are some really good ones. Um, Food First obviously jumps to mind first. Um, there's MESA, which is related to the Multinational Exchange for Sustainable Agriculture, which has a very international view, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, some capacity is maybe a policymaker or having some influence on policy development in this country uh, surrounding um, the food system, which is vague concept but uh, you're talking about farm workers rights you're talking about uh, from like a social ecology perspective so many different things going on uh, with you know climate change increasing um, the like threats of pests and diseases Mm -hmm. um, different proposals being advanced by like the UN FAO supports an idea called climate smart agriculture which is um, criticized a little bit by some agroecology researchers um, it's really such like a literally world encompassing problem I'm not even like thinking about fisheries right now which are crucial to the global <laughs> food system but um, that uh, there's so much that needs to be done and um, there's so much so many good precedents already out there. Like from what I've learned from agroecologists, uh, they support biodiversity on farms. Um, 
no chemical use, uh, basically recycling systems of compost and not necessarily having to rely on off-farm inputs, um, which might sound um, idealistic or utopian, but that's how indigenous communities around the world have fed each other for thousands of years. So you can find people doing this not far from where you live probably, and they're already a good model for um, ideas for um, maybe, I don't know if this is too partisan from me, but um, broader public participation in food production. I just think a lot of people would really enjoy it. Um, I don't think we need to rely on machines to completely replace every person out there producing some sort of food. A lot of people like gardening vegetables in their backyard, which is great. Um, and uh, on top of that, uh, a greater awareness and participation in the um, ecosystem in which you live. Like uh, if you are concerned with uh, having some food forest or something, maybe not your property, but something that you share not far from where you live, uh, then you have a greater stake in cons like making sure that it's not polluted or contaminated by runoff or you know toxic fumes or destroyed by whatever um, environmental threats are out there produced by humans or even going further uh, taking some kind of land stewardship management approach. So if you have a, a vested interest in the ongoing game, you know, if, yeah. if you get involved. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're interested in keeping something thriving while you're alive, but also for future generations, which I think is a common human concern, not necessarily just that of, you know, parents. Um, <laughs> it's like planting a tree and whose shade you'll know you won't sit in. Right. Um, and it reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, uh, this guy named Buckminster Fuller, mm -hmm. who he had this one quote where it was like, if you want to change the existing model, you have to create a completely different, entirely different model, you know, to make the old one obsolete. So when taking in consideration some certain things that I think have been, you know, cultivated for thousands of years... I mean, they demonstrate a very important role of, of making food, you know, and, and providing the, a sense of community. Uh, I know you mentioned a uh, previous conversation about, uh, what was it, like community, CSA? Was mm -hmm. it, what does CSA stand for? Uh, community Supported Agriculture. Yeah. So, yeah. Why don't you tell us, what's, what's community sustain? Support. Support <laughs> agriculture. So it's a kind of a distribution model for farms that it's been around for a few decades. I don't remember exactly when or where it started. Um, I had a coworker who literally studied that in master's school, but um, the idea is it's really hard to turn a profit in the market if you're a small organic farmer. Um, you often have to pay a lot for land. If you don't own it yourself, you have to pay for labor more so than, um, proportionally more so than larger operations that are increasingly industrialized. Um, and uh, it's hard sometimes to know that you'll make it through a season if you're waiting until everything is cut and packaged 
to depend on people to buy it at the store or wherever you're selling at the farmer's market. So um, farmers have developed this idea to um, have kind of a subscription service where uh, people who want your produce pay in at the beginning of the season um, and every week or so, however frequent it is, they can receive a box of produce or whatever you're selling, eggs, meat, fish, mushrooms. Um, there are all kinds of CSAs out there. Uh, and uh, so you have that money and you know it's gonna be there so you're not deeply in debt at the end of the season if you know things didn't sell particularly well. Um, and there are all kinds of variations on this with you know weekly boxes or um, the CSA where I worked, you show up and there's like a table set up where you pick out the grains or whatever produce it is that you want and um, weigh it out yourself and you can talk to the farmer. And it's also because the community aspect is there, um, a good opportunity for people to meet their neighbors and other members of their community as well as the farmers and farm workers who uh, provide the food that they're getting. Um, so it's an interesting experience for people who are more interested, who are curious about um, where their food comes from. And it's often really great quality produce. Really great quality produce, folks. <laughs> you heard it because we literally live right next to the fire department here at Middlebury Institute. So every now and again, you'll get a nice little announcement from our folks saving lives. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I jumped on that, I was like, wow, how, how and where and how, yeah. What timing that something like that and however long that's been around, I mean, that sounds like, it's like, it reminds me of Farmer's Market 2.0, mm -hmm. you know? Like, it, it provides, you know, because you go to these, these farmer's markets here locally, whether you're in Salinas or in Monterey or Pacific Grove, they have them on different days, and here you are meeting the folks who are producing the goods, you know, and you're able to interact with them. You're able to even maybe bargain, maybe, I don't know. But uh, even more importantly, you're just interacting with them. You're, you're seeing face-to-face, -face, you know, the folks who grow your food. And um, I remember when I was living in Napa, uh, there was a time where we... Um, my assistant winemaker, he would like bring produce, you know, to the workplace and, oh, where'd you get these from? Safeway? And he's like, no, nah, man, from my backyard. I'm like, heck yeah, that's awesome. And, and he would do that for so many different, you know, fruits and veggies. And, you know, when you live in a place that's arable, that, you know, we have the fertile valleys and, and land and um, the fisheries, you know, why not take advantage of this beautiful world that we live in and we know that you know if we can get creative policy wise I mean, we see all the creativity around us and um it was like i was talking to this lady while we were marching today and we were talking about public policies and how they've shifted for multitude of things whether it's health care whether it's uh, workers rights um uh, just getting down to it what ends up being the biggest issue is changing people's minds, changing the perception of whatever policy that you're looking to put into place. 
because what's going to end up happening is that you're going to be dealing with misinformation or information that's not well known and you're trying to dispel people's fears right so you know when we talk about the green new deal they're like okay what what does this mean how does this look like it's a very brand new thing but the more people know about it the more it becomes familiar and it's a household item um it's really starting to take off so um you know speaking of things that are taking off um I know today I did not <laughs> uh we we had a rally here in town about a couple months ago um and it was a completely different march it was for uh women's rights um they have it every year um and it was great it was really short so I was thinking I, I remember telling you I was like oh we're going to go to the UFW march and it's going to be really short and sweet I I'll probably be like right around the corner and then we'll we'll be in the center and uh, <laughs> we ended up marching for a couple hours mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that was that was pretty pretty awesome yeah what what were your thoughts on the the march today yeah it was great i'm really glad i came out to see it um you can really see i mean it's kind of a standout example of how um unions can like build community power in a kind of unique way um there were uh music performances from local schools there were people doing uh by folklorico <laughs> by b- i can't even say it right now uh ballet uh folklorico yeah. yeah um it was there were um great food stands it was a total community experience um before and after the march around salinas people were waving their ufw flags and um repeating chants that have been around for decades not si se puede and uh yeah unito unite unite yeah a la mar- marcha unite yeah things like that i mean and some of the stuff i couldn't understand you know i'm not particularly a native speaker but you know throughout the march we were discussing what we knew about ufw uh what were some of our history lessons growing up on Cesar Chavez and some of the movements, you know, and we kind of like both came to a consensus that there is a lot of rich history, you know, uh, as far as public policy and community organizing around these issues that are still with us today and in different ways, right? We're I know we're looking at several bills uh regarding like pesticides near public schools and keeping that at least a mile away from the public schools. Um so little things but impactful things that you know uh bring Salinas a little bit closer and of understanding you know who who might be your next door neighbor or um you know being able to get out of your comfort zone and like see this many people and like culture right in your face you know with a a, a medium cup of horchata you know it's little things like that i'm just like ah you know i uh, i'm glad we were able to to make it out you know and see all that yeah yeah really shows the power of the union and um the kind of forms um just common purpose and solidarity can take uh and there it's not uh in any way a um 
ghost of its former self, as far as I can tell. Uh, Cesar Chavez was a great advocate and public face for these issues and could speak on behalf of the strikes and boycotts and um, concerns with pesticide use, which is something someone mentioned was a major issue for him later in his life. Um, but people are still working on that and in different ways with uh, local grassroots organizations, with um, politicians working on bills uh, and uh, migrant rights groups. And it's interesting to see where that's going and all power to them. Yeah, just a, a couple of shout outs. Um, while we were walking around, uh, they had set up around a basketball court. So, you know, if you're listening um, and you want to get involved, there's some organizations in Salinas. Uh, we have Building Healthy Communities, uh, Isalinas. Uh, we have Immigration Task Force of Monterey County. And these folks kind of get involved with uh, providing different activities, um, providing mentoring and legal services. Uh, there's an app called uh, Notifica, which is if you are um, looking into protecting yourself and your family against deportation, you know, you can download this app and it will give you alerts of who to contact as far as um, your trusted contacts and how to notify them right away, how to be prepared in a situation like this. Uh, of course, the UFW Foundation uh, that has been around for decades. Um, so many great things that they do. Um, and then your local handy-dandy assembly member, Mr. Robert Rivas, uh, representing District 30. Then we, we got quite a few handouts uh, from the folks with, uh, what was it, food? food? Food Bank, yeah. They gave us some bomb recipes, and apparently they have quite the schedule, a uh, robust schedule for um, these sorts of things where they, they give out free fruits and veggies, I heard correct? I think so. Yeah, so it's, I mean, all around, amazing job with the folks who organize this and getting the word out on so many great organizations and, you know, uh, there's even this one called Adelante, El Sueño Americano, American Dream. Uh, you know, and if you're looking for home ownership, if you're looking for affordable housing, uh, these folks will get you in touch uh, with the right people in, you know, setting that up and uh, progressing, you know, in society here in the Monterey Bay Peninsula. So all these things that we're highlighting today uh, really point towards a direction, a positive direction. Um, so moving forward, you know, this concept series of sustainability, it, you, we, when we think of sustainability, at least in my mind, I think environmental, first, first, of, first off and foremost, and how that has ripple effects both uh, in economics and for society. And then you have economic uh, sustainability, um, which if you're looking at it from a business perspective or a public policy perspective, how can we you know, uh, electrify the economy in new stimulating ways, um, especially now given that we're looking at different industries and the shifting of those industries, whether it be manufacturing or, um, you know, agriculture industry and just where the status is that headed, you know. And then today I think was an excellent showcase of 
social sustainability and social restoration, you know. Um, we're looking at, you know, a good friend of mine, Rafael Hernandez, is working deeply in the, the East Salinas community on the Alisal uh, Vibrancy Plan. And this is um, an important plan that I think will effectively make tremendous amount of change in that community on the east side of Salinas. And stuff like what we witnessed today, um, I hope that you all out there listening can get involved in your own communities and see where you best fit, you know, and how you can contribute. You know, like my my colleague here, my good friend Seth Small, you know, from working on a farm all the way in Rhode Island is here in Monterey, you know, soaking up some sun, going to a march, you know, and just really living living the reality that he knows is possible, you know, and kudos to him. Kudos to all of you that are listening, and um, if there's any final words that you'd like to leave our listeners with. I think those are pretty beautiful sentiments. Uh, something that I've talked about in learning about um, farming and climate change is climate resilience. Our food system needs to be resilient uh, in face of the threats and dangers ahead that we know a bit about. Um, and aside from that, uh, needs to be community resilience in face of the political threats and you know, polarization and um, uh, antinomies going on in society. And it's important to you know, have the democratic spirit live on through that because that's the way that we make these positive political changes and um yeah just kind of reiterating what you said but uh thanks a lot for having me on angelo yeah man it's been a great program of course yeah thank you guys for listening again and tune in until next time ciao